Good morning. Welcome to Rochester Today, Monday morning. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM with the Sheriff, Kevin Torgerson, joining us this morning. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Andy. Great to be nice, here. Yeah, nice to see you again. Unfortunately, uh, some sad news to discuss yeah. again. I, yeah. Uh, you had another unfortunate tragedy inside the Olmstead County Detention yeah. Center. Yeah, it's uh, it is very sad. It's a, it definitely is a tragedy. Uh, we certainly and first and foremost uh, reach out to the family of uh, the detainee, and uh, it's uh, just a sad situation. Anytime there is any loss, whether it's in you know at home or whether in a situation like this in a detention facility, um, you know I. I, I, we put out a statement. There's not much we can say at this point because we're not doing the investigation and it still is ongoing. And, um, you know, those kind of things, uh, we, uh, we do everything we can to prevent. And unfortunately, sometimes it just things align and it's, it's a difficult situation. So I truly believe our staff did everything they could that day. And, uh, um, I, I can't really say any more than that. Um, sure. On the other end of it, um, you know, we uh, we're doing all we can to support them because uh, it's a difficult situation there too. Well, I know a few weeks back after the first death in the facility, yeah. you talked about the process and and right. mainly that uh, just to review it that and to me it's an amazing thing that that's required by law that you have to check at each and every person within the jail every yeah. 20 minutes, 24 yeah. hours a day. That's a, just for one detention deputy. If they work every day, every minute of every, every year for their, um, in, on their shifts, it can be as many as 10,000, uh, well-being checks a day or a year. I'm sorry. 10,000 well-being checks. And, and the expectation is that they don't miss a single one. And, uh, I can say in this situation, again, this individual is discovered, again, through a well-being check. And, uh, you know, those things are required by the Department of Corrections and and Bureau of Prisons uh, federally. So, uh, you know, we do what we need to do and and and, uh, and even more so, actually. Yeah. And this was, uh, again, just a, gosh, just a terrible situation. I don't think if you're in the hospital, unless you're in ICU, you don't get checked that often. That's for no. sure. <laughs> no, no, <there's, laughs> I've been there too. Where, you know, not, no, no shame on any hospitals here, but I've been there too. And you know, they get the button, and we have a way to communicate too with staff and detainees. But uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. No, we uh, we uh, we do everything we can uh, that's within the rules, and then go beyond uh, as well. So. You know, we're, we're waiting on those results and we talked about this last time that, um, you know, there's not going to be results for quite a while and certainly sure. in the, in the one earlier this year, we still don't have those results and that stuff just takes times. It's, it's not days or weeks and I know we live in a society today where, you know, instant gratification is, was what we, we pretty much live for and if we can't find it on our phone, we're, we're, we're going somewhere else to look for it and, uh, unfortunately, in these situations, uh, this stuff just takes time, and that's where we turn it over to the hands of the medical examiner, and 
you know, they'll do their work and investigators and other folks are going to do their thing. And when uh, that is completed, then it comes out and we just have to be patient and and uh, those results will be revealed when they're ready. What about the process? When, when we say outside investigation, it's the BCA, the state comes mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that you turn over every piece of paperwork you've got and everybody? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. They, you know, every individual that's involved has got to write a report on their actions and where they were when the when the incident uh, began, whether it's for the first individual first officer there or they're the last uh, or they're the supervisor they all have to you know talk about everything they did that that day and then during that incident to uh, you know, reflect on their involvement so that we can put all the pieces together again it's not not something that needs to be done or that is uh, specific for today but it could be <clears throat> excuse me it could be uh, weeks, months, and even years before someone has an opportunity to maybe look back and go, "Hey, we're gonna we want to look at this again. What happened here and there?" So those reports have to be very detailed and very specific. And so uh, that's the first part of it: is we turn over those investigations again. We we look at that as a opportunity to show the transparency of what we do. Um, having another agency look at us and ask questions. Um, is is good. It's healthy and and it's good for uh, policies. It's good for procedures. So we'll uh, we'll certainly take those opportunities to reflect on that too. Not only just uh, right now in the immediate aftermath of something like this, but um, also in you know the weeks, months, and years to come. As whether it's training, whether it's other things that might need to be done differently. You know, it's all an open book and. Sure. Uh, you know, we got to look at everything to do all we can to take care of people while they're in our custody. A lot of uh, discussion about mental health issues for law enforcement personnel. Yeah, oh boy. things that people deal with on the street. But your detention staff <laughs> gets to know the detainees at a personal level. I imagine they do. They do, and you know, and it's. It, I think some people want to think it's always adversarial when you're inside a detention facility. It's not that way. Uh, they have to have a personal relationship with each one. Each detention deputy develops relationships with each of these folks, whether they're in for a few hours or, you know, months and even sometimes years. They're with us. And, you know, our facility is always a, is primarily a pretrial facility. So people in here who, um, have high bail or for whatever reasons aren't allowed to be uh, allowed back out. So they're a no bail situation, whatever that, uh, you know, whatever dictates from the court. Um, that's why they're there. And, uh, so while they're there and while they're inside, we have to take care of them. We are responsible for every last minute of every day for each single person that's there. And, uh, you know, that means we're going to, we're going to interact with them. We're going to talk about their their situation, their families, their their lives, their addictions, their mental health challenges. You know, all of those things. We we provide educational opportunities in there. We just had a guy graduate with a, his GED here. Two of them actually a month or two ago. Um, so we're providing for those opportunities in there. And so in the 
midst of all of that, yeah, our staff develop relationships with these people. And and this one is particularly hard. This uh, individual has been in and out uh, numerous times, and um, it does weigh heavy on our staff when when these things happen. So um, we're uh, we're processing that and supporting our staff as best we can because we know that uh, you know they they take this to heart. Well, it's an unfortunate scenario. Things, I mean, two of these so quickly happening yeah. at the same time. It's got to be tough on everybody involved. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. We're talking with Sheriff Kevin Torgerson this morning. And we'll take a really quick break. We'll return in a moment with more of Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Welcome back to Rochester Today. Andy Brownell with Sheriff Kevin Torgerson on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Sheriff, I saw in your newsletter that uh, <laughs> you had... Let's say a big retirement at the very top of the office. Uh, Terry Wilecki. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is he out fishing now or? No, actually, I think he, uh, he spent, uh, some weekends in sunshine and some sand in his toes, I believe. Is ah, where he good was, for him. Uh, good for him. Within the last week or so. So I think they're back now, but, um, he did spend some time away and, uh, actually he texted me at one point and he said, I'm not so sure I'm coming back. <laughs> so, unfortunately, his wife has to come back and work. So, he's ah. uh, he's he's got her still working, and uh, yeah, kind of a fun situation for him. But yeah, it's not every day that uh, 33 years of experience in your office uh, or any business walks out the door, and and uh, you know he had 35 years total, I think, or just short of 35 years total worked before he came to us with a. Uh, several uh, small agencies, uh, mostly over in Mauer County, actually. Um, and we always used to joke he was the chief of police in Brownsdale, which if you know where Brownsdale is, right, yeah. if you've been through Brownsdale, it doesn't take much time. And I'm not offend, trying to offend Brownsdale residents because it's a cute little town. But uh, Terry's spent a, a, a cup of coffee, so to speak, in in Brownsdale before he came to us as their chief of police and, um, you know, it's kind of a fun situation, but so Terry was your chief deputy. He took over when yeah. Joel Loftus retired. Uh, no, no, no. He 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 moved to emergency management when Joel Loftus retired oh, as a captain. Okay. So that was his his claim to fame following uh, Joel Loftus from. Uh, I knew there was a connection management. there somewhere. Yeah, and then I followed Terry into emergency management when he moved back. To patrol, he and I did a swap when we were captains. I was the patrol captain, and had been in there for a year and a half, thinking, "Hey, I'm, I'm home. This is where I want to be. This will be fun. I'll sit here for, for the rest of my career, whatever that was going to be." And he was out in emergency management, and uh, then uh, we, we had a senior staff meeting, uh, or got an email, I think, like a week before, and the uh, chief deputy at that time, Mark Darnell. Uh, sent the email and, and told all of us who were the captains at that time that, hey, Sheriff and I are, um, at that time was Sheriff Von Wald, Steve Von Wald, uh, we're going to move you guys around. And so you have to pick your top, at that time, uh, three other locations. We had four captains. And uh, you can't pick the one you're currently in. And I'm like, oh, man, that, <laughs> that, that really hurt. And uh, so in that shuffle, Terry uh, took my spot and I took his and um, 
you know, so to speak, the rest is history as far as that goes, because he was in patrol until, and I was in emergency management until uh, I became sheriff, and then I appointed him chief deputy. So we uh, we kind of chased each other around through the office, and he was a sergeant in training, and then I was sergeant in training, and you know, civil. He was in civil warrants. I was in civil warrants, and you know, the the taste of our whole office. You just we just kind of kept chasing each other here and there around the office never really we i don't think we ever worked a shift together in patrol uh back in our our early years um because he was always on opposites of me and so you know what and when i and i said this at his retirement deal and i still you know tongue-in-cheek kind of say it's the same thing but um he and i are very different in a lot of ways um of course he's from iota and he's very proud of that and i'm not and uh uh i'm tall and and thin and he's a little shorter and uh i think it's okay if i say he's a little thicker um and uh i've ran all my life and running is not his interest and so there's a lot of things we don't have in common and i i said that um several times that it was good for me to have a chief deputy in my first year as a sheriff that really didn't have anything in common with me and uh i i I truly believe that was that was really a you know the the right thing to do Uh, really the only thing we have in common at the set of during his retirement was uh the minnesota vikings as he's a season ticket holder and and i'm you know been a long time viking fan and uh dabbled in some some time with them and and uh and he's uh then the other thing is is this office, you know, our love for this office and the sheriff's office here at Olson County and our communities is, is equal for sure, but uh, by the two of us. So it so was a great telling, relationship. So you're telling Terry was up in the crowd while you were providing security at the bank. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 So what is, so he, all these years he spent as chief deputy before retirement. What does a chief deputy do? Well, the chief deputy, we have two of them, uh, and they actually, by title, within the county as employees, one is the director of law enforcement services, and the other is director of detention services. So they they basically are, as I've described it to people, they're basically the business managers of those two sides of the office. And every sheriff office in the state is required by statute to have detention as well as law enforcement because uh, the sheriff is required to provide law enforcement services to the unincorporated areas of, the, of their county, um, i.e. Re- reflecting the, you know, your townships for the most part, um, but then can also contract services for the smaller cities or cities that do not have law enforcement, um, specifically a police department. So um, that's, that's that side of it. And then, with the statute also dictates that sheriffs are required to have detention or at least provide for it. So as in our area here, Dodge County doesn't have a detention facility or a jail, but they contract with us. Previously, they were contracting with Steele County. Um, so the sheriff has to have an arrangement to have a custodial uh, facility. Um, so that's how they're separated. And those two guys really, for the most part, uh, you know, they're trained cops, but they basically become accountants and business managers, and it's a whole different, uh, way of looking at law enforcement. And anytime situations develop where 
we as as those three individuals, myself and the two chief deputies, uh, and their chief deputies too, by the way, of being a licensed officer. Um, if we have someone in the detention facility, we we can have someone in the detention side of of that who is the director of detention f- uh, services that's not a licensed officer. So if they're a licensed officer, they can be a chief deputy. Okay. If they're not, then they would be director of detention services. We can't have a licensed, non-licensed officer be the chief deputy on the deten- on the, the law enforcement side, only the detention side. Makes so sense. Some nuances there that, you know, we play with at times and, and do some things. So anyway, um, yeah. Who gets, uh, <clears throat> who gets to wear the chief deputy hat now? Um, we moved uh, uh, Brian Howard, who had been over the last eight years the, the chief deputy uh, and the director of detention services. So Brian, a uh, longtime uh, uh, deputy and employee here at the sheriff's office, uh, spent a lot of time as a canine handler and, and trainer and, and all of that. And, and then he spent the last eight years in charge of the detention side. Um, he had not worked in this jail in particular, this detention facility, but he had worked uh, for a little bit of time with Fillmore County as a detention person, and and so he he did have some some learning curves in the early part of his chief deputy time on the detention side here, but he's now back on the law enforcement side, and then moving from uh, detention or from the law enforcement side to detention now is uh, formerly Captain Jim Schuler, who's now the chief deputy. And Jim does have a pretty extensive uh, service within our office in the detention side. He uh, rose not only as a, a deputy, but he rose to the rank of sergeant in there before he switched over to the law enforcement side <clears throat> after getting the schooling and all of that. To become you mentioned with Jim before that he... Um, some of the mental health components of being in jail. Yeah. That he worked on those things. Yeah. He uh, and his wife, Megan, uh, who is, uh, been, they've both been very, very instrumental in the CIT program here, the crisis intervention training. Also, uh, you can look at it as de escalation training, but it's focused on mental health and people in mental crisis. Uh, so both Jim and, and Megan have been very instrumental in that program jointly with the Rochester Police Department here. In fact, uh, just a week ago, we had uh, another 27 or 8 uh, officers and deputies go through CIT training. Um, it was kind of all over the, you know, the social media waves and on some of the, the news channels, uh, TV stuff. So, um, yeah, Jim's got a very extensive uh, period of time that he worked in the detention center his mental health uh, support and and all of that is uh, very key. And, and he's got a host of other uh, – he did a great job in our investigations area over the last uh, several years too. So a lot of talent there, and uh, I have uh, really solid confidence in him taking and, over the detention side. And this promotion gets him away from talking to all the reporters because he was yeah, the yeah. contact point for the media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He yeah, said, so thank we, goodness, get me out of here. 
we had a change there, and so now Captain Tim Parkin is doing that, and we just keep moving moving people around, and we're not done yet. We've got a lieutenant that's going to leave here in a little bit who's in the investigations area, so we're actually uh, working uh, this last week trying to go through some of that and figure out who's going to be our, our next lieutenant there, and then we're going to add a lieutenant in the the violent crime enforcement team, the regional team. Um, so we're going to add a position there that is uh, not really add. We're just changing the title of it. And then we've got uh, Captain Mike Bromberg, who has been in charge of the violent crime enforcement team, leaving um, middle of April. So we're ramping up to figure out, okay, who's our next new captain? And we've got that ready. We've just got to um, go through some uh, procedural things and then, Get ready to to interview and figure out who that new captain's going to be too. So, all right. Come the first of June, we should have some semblance of stability within our office here. It's been kind of hectic for the last several months. Well, I'll keep watching the newsletter to try to keep up today. Yeah, what's happened, yeah. Good luck. Sure. <laughs> good luck. Good right. luck. And sometime in April, we'll have our awards program and swearing in program, and we'll kind of uh, highlight those guys then too. So it'll be fun. All right. Starting time for news, Kevin. Um, Sheriff Kevin Torgerson with us this morning, Rochester Today. We'll continue after the news break on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning. Welcome back to Rochester Today, Monday morning with the Sheriff. Sheriff Kevin Torgerson with us. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Kevin, I know uh, you've been kind of, you've been sought out by media statewide, but you've been up mm-hmm. in St. Paul too. Um as kind of the point person for opponents of the push to legalize recreational marijuana in Minnesota. And I know it's right. still, it's moving through committees and yeah. the legislature, but is anybody listening up there to your point of view and your organization's point of view? You know, I think they are um, right now. And that's the piece that people get excited about, not only about marijuana, but any kind of controversial bill. Um, they move through these committees. So one thing to understand, and it's been an educational experience for me too, because I've been, you know, for a lot of my career, keeping the legislative piece of this thing at, at arm's length and beyond. Um, not any longer, because um, uh, I've been asked to be part of our committee with the Minnesota Sheriff's Association on legislative issues. And and uh, thus then I get to be asked uh, what you know, here's what we want you to talk about. So that's how it's become my deal. And, and I, I, I welcome it because, you know, my history, I've spent 12 years as a DARE officer and 12 years talking to kids and parents about, um, several different challenges, drugs in particular. And, and, uh, you know, in that time with DARE, we we did a lot of things. We talk about consequences, talk about challenges, and and doing the right thing, and saying no to peers, and and you know making good decisions is is a big part of it. Another part of it has been what are the things that uh, where do kids start? What do we where are the things that trip up kids, especially young people and young adults, um, that lead them into addiction and other challenges throughout their lives and. It was, it always was alcohol, tobacco, and marijuana. And, uh, those we still consider our gateways to a lot of it. You go out to the Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. I go out there and have been to their, their galas and talk to people constantly related to this. And they still say one of the 
clearly one of the opening doors, open doors into addictions is marijuana um, and alcohol and tobacco. So uh, there's a lot of people out there that are in favor of this, saying it's not that bad. And, um, you know, I I don't know where they're looking (laughs) and what research they're finding. Um, Well, I think what it is difficult. I'll throw this out there that people who go in their basement and use marijuana and listen to Pink Floyd on the weekend. Yeah. And they're just fine. They go to work Monday morning and everything is hunky dory and has no impact on their lives. Right. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact, a huge no. impact on others. No. And, and, and that's the, the, the thing we're talking about the most is in what we're trying to bring to legislatures, legislators individually, as well as in committees, is we're really worried about youth access. And when I say this, we, it's all 87 sheriffs in the state. It, there's, there's nobody that's in essence saying, ah, wait a minute, guys, I don't know if we should do it this way. Um, it's all 87 of us are, are in agreement on this that we've, we've been communicating with uh, sheriffs in Colorado. We've, we follow all of the news and the challenges that are going on in California and Oregon and Washington state. I just did an interview with one of our new kids who's a new reporter in one of our local television stations recently. And he was asking me some questions about this, um, about marijuana and the legislation. And he came from Washington state and he says, you know, Sheriff, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen it. That's part of the reason why I left there was because of what I was seeing up there and, and how, how, how it was. So, you know, <sighs> There's people that are proponents of it and, and they have their reasons and, you know, I talk about medical lists and, you know, things that help them with various things. Yep, I'm not, don't deny that. We've, uh, the sheriffs have been always supportive of, of expanding the role of medical marijuana and medical access to it and, you know, in a controlled way. Um, but just opening the doors to the barn and just letting it all go. Poof, man, uh, really scary. And um, I, I welcome people to educate yourselves. Uh, that's the first thing I, I tell people all the time. Um, one great way to educate yourself is go to the Internet and look up the – and you're going to write this down. I'll say it a couple times. Okay. Rocky, Rocky Mountain Haida Report. Um, Rocky Mountain is, is Colorado. And Haida is High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area, H-I-D-T-A. Uh, you should be able to find that by, by searching with those, those words and that acronym. Um, and, uh, look up the most recent report. They didn't look up any one that they've got. They've been doing it, uh, since they, uh, went, uh, uh, full recreational or legalized in Colorado, uh, studying, researching and looking at the impact. Across the board, not only traffic deaths have increased generally around 20% every year with marijuana, at least one of the drivers being um, involved in uh, having marijuana in their system, uh, one or both of the drivers. Um, and again, it's, it's, you know, around 20%, usually higher than 20% of increase in fatalities from what previous years hit. So, um is it going to be potentially da- more dangerous on the roads? Yeah, it is. There's no question about it. Um, there, there's percentages there, and they vary from year to year because they're they're looking at it in a very objective way. 
Um, they talk about youth access in there. They talk about societal costs. Early on, the proponents, especially some legislative people, have been saying, were saying that the tax base that they're missing because people are using marijuana and not paying, you know, they're paying the cartel. Of course, the cartel's not paying taxes or the drug dealers were not paying taxes. So now they're going to make it legal. So now they're going to make, you know, tax base out of this. Um, but that's, it, it never was true. Uh, Colorado, uh, right from the very beginning in the first years was saying that every tax dollar, every one dollar of tax money they collected from marijuana sales, they were spending four to four and a half dollars on uh, societal impacts of marijuana use, whether it was uh, more more drug addiction issues, more treatment centers, more psychological challenges and, and other various challenges, traffic crashes, the whole bit, right. four and a half dollars more per every dollar they brought in. And, and that's the case to the point that now the legislator, I mean, legislatures in Minnesota are agreeing with that. They've actually, uh, early on, and I think they changed it now, but early on in this, they were going to move $34 million from the transportation budget into the marijuana budget to fund these societal impacts. $34 million was going to, that's probably not even enough, but yet they've acknowledged that there's going to be more challenges. So what we're trying to get them to do is slow the bus down. You guys are Bound and determined to legalize marijuana in Minnesota. Okay. But give us a chance to help defend our public who doesn't want to be involved and doesn't want to have their family member killed by a drunk driver or a, a drugged driver, impaired driver. Sure. So, and this gets a little bit detailed, but I hope I can get through this as quick as I can. They have, in fact, I'll pull up my, uh, my comments here and see if I can. No, no, I can't find it. Shoot. Um, here it is. Um, I'll just read what I what I've been saying to the legislature. So in Article four, Section 40, this bill authorizes an oral fluid preliminary testing pilot project between August of this year, 2023, until July of 2025. So we don't have any way to test it. And by the way, there's not a 0.08 level. And that's a question I would ask anybody who's in favor of it. What is the level of right. amount of marijuana in your system that's going to be access- acceptable like the 0.08 in alcohol? I got news for you. There's nothing. It's simply all testing that we do, blood or urine at this point, And there's nothing on breath or mouth or saliva that says the amount. It only says it's present. So that's all we have. And so they're authorizing with this bill from this summer to July of 2025 for law enforcement in the state to test it. But then they turn around in another article in here and say this bill indicates then also effective dates of July of this year and August or January of next year when they're going to go full speed on this thing. So there's going to be a year and a half where law enforcement's not going to be able to do anything on the roadside other than pull people over, arrest them, take their so, blood, take their urine, and away so we go. We'll be able to do pull, a roadside test. If you were to pull over a vehicle and the windows roll down and the stinky smoke rolls out, yep, you can't make an arrest. No, we can. 
but it's going to take more. We're probably very likely more so going to do that than not. And that's the question that was posed to the, the senator who was offering it on the Senate side. And she admitted it. She says she's worried that there are some people that are going to get arrested that probably shouldn't be arrested. And I'm sitting right next to her and going, that's my point. That's exactly what we're trying to tell you. Slow this thing down. Give us a chance to help defend our motoring public. And and, and then I've, I've likened it and I saw um, Channel 4 out of the city, CCO, did a report the last time I was up there. It actually quoted me in, in my quote where I finished my Comments saying it's like buying a new car without safety features. Why are we doing this? Slow this thing down. And then she finished off, the reporter finished it off saying there's becoming great concern amongst the proponents of these bills that there's a lot of details law enforcement is pointing out that they need to, they need to sort out. And so people are getting excited because this thing, uh, like some other bills, uh, guns included are passing from committee to committee to committee. Well, they're only looking at it with their blinders on and what the what that one committee does. Um, it's a long ways yet before this stuff is, is legalized and before this happens. And we're going to keep trying to educate people and educate our legislators and get them to realize this is this is not good for Minnesota as much as they want to keep saying it is. It's not good for Minnesota. And it, are, it you, really are you hopeful me. at all that – when the governor himself said we're going to have yeah. legalized marijuana by May, whatever it was, yeah. are you hopeful that that won't be the case? I'm hopeful we can slow it down and we can, again, provide law enforcement resources. I mean, here's two other factors that are going to cost us money. Um, our office alone, we have two canines that are marijuana-trained dogs. We can't untrain them. They will be forcibly retired. So they'll detect on every... Yep. Every they, drug they're trained to detect on, regardless. Yep, yep. You can't tell them, hey, hey, there, Bruno, take a, you know, stop sniffing marijuana. We can't tell them to do that. They have to be retired. You can't take them back to school and, and redo that. They're done. That dog is done. And so that's twenty thousand dollars a dog. And I've got two of them. I don't know how many are across the state. That's one piece of it. The other piece to help with this impairment issue that the senator was concerned about was uh, something called drug recognition experts. We call them DREs because we use acronyms all the time. So a drug recognition expert, a DRE, is a trained officer, deputy, or trooper who uh, goes to a two-week, very intensive school, classroom thing, learning about impairment and indicators of various different drugs, uh, stimulants, depressants, you know, man-made, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And how to detect that? when they do a roadside, basically, field sobriety test, only it's kind of a ramped up one. It's not the one that just normal officers do. It's something a little bit more on that, and they're considered experts in it. Then we can't take – they have to do a classroom, a clinical in a sense, um, or they, they, they do a, a, a roadside one. So they do the classroom. Then they got to do the clinical piece which means they got to go out on the road. They go go out to areas where there may be drug users um, and and put their skills to work and test it. And they're under supervision by an instructor and telling them how to look for this or that or whatever. That's not an easy process, and it's not cheap. We can't do it here in Minnesota, the clinical part. 
we do the classroom here, but we have to send our deputies. In fact, we got a deputy going here sometime yet this spring that is going out to Philadelphia. So we send them to Philadelphia, Denver, or, or California to do the clinical piece of it on the road, in the on the street, so to speak, in these areas where they can potentially find people that are uh, under the influence and then have them do that. So that's what we're also telling them is, we need time. We don't have this ability to just make this happen because you say it's going to happen. Um, we've got to have the ability to do this stuff. And and so sometimes, i I got to be honest with you, I don't know that they're listening, but I think they are. And okay. uh, um, we'll just keep telling them we need, we need them to slow this thing down and let's get, get ready before, um, you know, it gets worse. And, you know, unfortunately, we'll see where it goes. And uh, right. like I, I've also said one last thing, I also have said over and over that it's really disappointing to me as a, as a, as, as me, Kevin, also as a sheriff and law enforcement and law enforcement officer that we're willing to consider more fatalities and injuries on our highways as collateral damage for somebody who wants to just simply put a foreign substance in their body. Um, that to me is just not a fair trade-off. And I don't know that any citizen of the state of Minnesota can look at that answer and say, yeah, that's okay. Because you don't know. We, we have no idea who's going to, who's, who's going to lose family members out of this thing. And I just, I just pray it's, you know, not any of my family or friends because it's really a sad thing that that's what it is. It's collateral damage that we're willing to accept. And I just, I can't accept it. All right, Chef Kevin Torgerson with us. We'll have to track this April and May because that's how yeah. long it's going to take for the legislature. Yep. We'll probably talk to you about it again before it's over. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We'll take a really quick break, come back with just a couple more minutes with the sheriff on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Welcome back. A little bit more left of Rochester Today with Sheriff Kevin Torgerson. Um, I just wanted to quickly mention, Kevin, I imagine that your department, the police department, the state patrol, everybody's gearing up for Friday and well, St. Yeah. Patrick's Day. Yeah, well, it's probably – it's a great combination because people celebrate and it's all wonderful. Um, and so when St. Patrick's Day ends up on a Friday or a Saturday, um, you know, it's kind of the colliding of, of the best of both worlds in a sense. It's, it's fun and exciting. On the other end, it does cause us some heartburn. Um, we just hope again, as people plan ahead, like they, they do every time we get a snowstorm, people get, Ooh, we got to do this and I got to get my car ready and maybe I won't go to yeah. work that day. I'll work from home. Well, you know what? Same kind of thing when it comes to a big event like this. Uh, you know, there's restaurants in town who say St. Patrick's Day is their biggest day of the year. That's great. Good luck. Have fun. Enjoy that. But please don't drink and drive. Why is, you know, we just keep saying it over and over. Please have a safe ride. Plan your ride before you start drinking. Think before you drink. You know, all the slogans that are out there, um, they're not just simply slogans. They're, they're, they're meaningful. And I just hope people take care of that. And God bless if, if I hope we don't have a fatality or any, even any injuries or crashes that night. But, we're going to have deputies and troopers and officers out there, and, uh, you know, we're uh, it's going interesting. To do what we have to do. It's interesting to me that that message seems to have worked for New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. because New Year's Eve has, yeah. over the last 10 years, has 
gone from a troublesome night or a yeah. tragic night to not, but yeah. it's Halloween and St. Patrick's Day that have yeah. been resistant to that. Yeah, yeah, they so. have, and I, I just hope that, you know, it's, it's great. Go out, get all greened up, and have fun, and be with your friends and family, but doggone it, please get a safe and sober ride home. It's not that complicated, and it shouldn't be shameful or whatever. I mean, please it's take easy. care of your friends. It's so it's, easy. It's easier to do now than it ever was before with oh, Uber yeah, and everything else out there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you got sober cabs, you got the Ubers, you got your friends. You know, yeah. please don't make us drive you. Uh, that's not where you want to go. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about, the last time you were with us, you hadn't tallied up all the numbers because you had just finished the, the plunge. Oh, yeah. Did you, get, did you get some more complete numbers on yeah, your fundraiser? Yeah. We're now at over 288,000 was raised in one day uh, with that polar plunge, which is, again, second in the state. Uh, Minneapolis uh, just finished a week ago, and those those dogs up there went over 1.8 million. Unbelievable. Two days of plunging. I think I can't remember how many numbers they had, but just impressive. So, uh, you know, we're okay being second in Minneapolis and being an outstate plunge. We'll take it and we love it when Southeast Minnesota comes together and supports Special Olympic athletes. So the exciting piece is next year we're about 282,000 away from going over 4 million in our 23 year history. So, um, this was 22 years, 23 next year and, uh, just blows my mind that we uh, we should um, have uh, the opportunity next year to say we are now over four million dollars in the in the history of our program here. So it's so exciting and so supportive of Special Olympic athletes in the program. So I just can't ever say enough about it. I look forward to talking to you a year from now when you get to say you hit that four million. Mark. Yeah, That'd I know. Awesome. Can't wait. It's so all exciting. right. We're out of time, Sheriff. So I can't believe it. <laughs> As always, I appreciate you taking your time to uh, talk to our audience and bring them up to date on these issues facing the Sheriff's yeah. Department and the whole state, for that matter. So thank you, you again. Bet. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right. Sheriff Kevin Torgerson is Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM.